American United Federal Credit Union can often help when others won't. They can often approve loans even if you've had trouble being approved in the past. Qualifying for membership is easy. Learn more at amucu.org. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our episode with Nate Quigley, CEO of Chatbooks. If there's a better opportunity for you outside of Chatbooks, I want you to go do it. Because the only time you're going to be at your absolute peak at Chatbooks is when Chatbooks is where you're supposed to be, where it's the best place for you in your career. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Um, anybody who didn't listen to the first episode, please go back, listen um, to uh, how Nate got here and what he's done, and to me, mistakenly talking about him dropping out of Harvard, where he actually graduated. <laughs> but, um, but Nate, we, we talked a bit about innovation and creating something that people want in the last episode, and that kind of Y Combinator poster you talked about. Yeah. Um, thinking about how do you keep the wheels on the car? You know, how do you keep? How do you set an example for your team and be the kind of place where people want to work and help grow this thing? Um, yeah. What's some of the uh, leadership principles that that have worked for you over the years oh you know it's that's a great question and i I have to i immediately the person that comes to mind is um is aaron sconard at pluralsight a company also based here in utah just up the road in ogden i've really learned a ton from aaron just in the past couple of years um in particular, he pointed me toward two books that made a ton of sense to me. And this is this is my third company, so you'd think I would have some of my own stuff from Company One and Two. I really didn't, honestly. And I think Company One and Two were, were limited a bit by the fact that I wasn't really thinking about leadership and you know company, pers- you know, sort of people development and culture proactively enough. You know, we were successful enough. We grew both those companies, sold both those companies. But I, I, as I think now, 
about sort of things that are important to me and what we, we try to emphasize at Chatbooks, I really do feel like we could have done a better job and we could have gone further and faster had we been more focused on the, the people side and the leadership side of, of growing those businesses. So anyway, the two books are Simon Sinek, Start With Why, and then Patrick Linsoni, The Advantage. I don't know if you're familiar with those books or if anyone on you know, listening is familiar with those books, but they, they both made a ton of sense to us. So, and we've really tried to embrace them at Chatbooks. So big fan of Simon Sinek, but, but uh, I don't know the advantage. Tell me about it. Yeah, the advantage uh, is the, the advantage he's talking about is when you can get your company fully bought into where you're going. It, it's kind of like a culture book, but it's also more than culture. It's like, and maybe this is part of culture, it's just alignment around the mission or the, the objective. And the big idea in there is if, you can, if everyone in the company – um, knows the playbook, knows like the answers to these six questions that he kind of walks you through that you end up, you know, all rowing together just in a much better way. And you can get further faster because you harness the whole power of the, everyone in the organization because everyone really, really clearly understands the objectives um, and how we behave and what we're trying to do in the first place. So I, rather than drag you through all six questions, I would just recommend that book to anyone listening. Uh, if this is an issue you think is important, because uh, it's been really helpful for us. The start with why fits right into that book because one of the one of the six questions in the advantage is why does your company exist? <clears throat> and um, it sounds kind of basic, but it, it actually takes a while to get that right. It really took us a little while to get that right. And um, we've landed on a little sentence that everyone at Chatbooks I think is pretty bought into. And more importantly, and this is from the start with why stuff, our customers I think are bought into it. Our customers are sort of joining us on a on a mission that they believe in and they think is important as well, more, that, more so than just kind of coming to buy the thing we're selling. Anyway, our why does Chatbooks exist is Chatbooks exist to help people hold on to what matters. And we unpack all those words a bunch of different ways. Hold on to is obviously important for us because there's this sort of physical aspect of like actually holding your photos, your memories in your hands. Uh, but it also means for us safeguard, um, organize, and enjoy um, and then the, the help people is really important to us because we have a really unique culture around customer support and organization or customer support at Chatbooks where we have um, work from home uh, moms primarily who answer all of our customer support tickets, who answer all of the questions that get posed to us in social media communities. Uh, and they're doing that a couple hours a day from their kitchen table, you know, wherever they live in the country. We've got folks in Alaska, folks in Florida, folks in Illinois, Texas. And there's like 40 of these women, and they're absolutely amazing. And they just provide a, a customer support experience that's completely unlike something you can kind of get out of a cube when you're on hour seven and a half of your shift and you're like six smoke breaks in and wondering why your life sucks so bad. <laughs> um, you know, our, our, when you have a customer to put it support in a yeah, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> no, are you kidding? But, in college, not really. I, in college, I worked at this. Uh, telephone telephone survey place you know yeah and yeah. like you know my freshman year it wasn't so bad because i was just happy to have any money and yeah. then i was gone for a couple of years came back and i thought oh, i did yeah. not need money this bad yeah no i i mean i i kind of bring that up because i was the dude in the cube with the headset on you know staring at a terminal thinking man i hate my life uh but i you know needed the money our our, our customer support team uh we call them the mom force you know, it's just a completely different experience. They, they, they also have no rules. So they can do whatever they want to do to make the customer happy. 
And, um, and we really feel like coming out of that, if you ever have, I, I almost want every single customer to have some kind of a reason to talk to the mom force because I know they, they turn them into customers for life because they do such an amazing job. <clears throat> anyway, that's part of the help people. You know, we think about it in the, in the product and development effort too. Like we're trying to build tools, build an app, build services that help people hold on to what matters. If you're on the mom force, you're trying to help people through whatever question or problem it is that they're encountering so they can hold on to what matters. And then what matters for us, um, it's really interesting because I think you talked about in the last segment how many photos you take and how many photos your wife takes. The, the trouble is no longer like taking the photo. It used to be kind of like you had to go buy film and get it developed. That was, there was some effort there. That's no longer, you know, there's no effort in taking the photo anymore. The, the challenge is like figuring out which of the 5,000 photos you took this year do you actually care about. And at Chatbooks, we figured out that you're much more likely, a really good indicator of what you care about is what you shared. So if you took 10 photos at the beach, the one that you shared on Instagram is the best one. And that's the one that sort of best captures that moment in your mind and the way you want to remember it. And similarly, if you text a photo to your wife, that's a really good, that's a good indication that that was the decent one. That was the one that wasn't like totally out of focus (laughs) where you were drooling. So help people hold on to what matters is both at the same time, like our mission, you know, it it really motivates us. We think it's important. We think that these are, this is the reason you live in the first place. These relationships and the experiences that you have with the people you care about is sort of a meaning of life and helping people hold on to that is bringing them a ton of joy and happiness in pretty profound ways that are, you can get schmaltzy fast if you think about it, but we, you know, we think it really, really matters. Well, this is my question. You know how everybody like, they write these like corporate vision statements. They're like five paragraphs full of like, yeah. business buzzwords and nobody ever reads yeah. it again. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, any advice for sorting through the, like, you know, uh, why does our company exist answer? That's like yeah. the, here's the one that sounds good. Here's the one that I really feel in my guts <laughs> that we really care about. This is why I recommend that book, the advantage, because it sort of takes you through how to do it. Mm. Um, it, you know, it tells you, these are the six questions that you want to create clarity around for your organization. And here's a way to do it. And, you know, long story short, it's, it's like, you know, it, it involves an offsite. It goes like, go to a cabin in the woods, which you can come out with cabin in the woods, you know, with some drivel for sure. Um, but I think there's just some good sort of things to think about and ways that you're stepped through these questions that you're, that you're answering with your leadership team that I think you get a better, you get a better outcome. At least we did. And so, um, you know, when Aaron recommended that book to me, um, you know, we kind of, we, we, I've, I've got a lot of business books I've never cracked the cover on. I'm just not like a big business book reader, but because I respect Aaron, uh, so much and, and the culture he's built at Pluralsight, you know, we, we dug in on it and, um, it's been really, really helpful for us. Like we, we've really, I think we, I think it's made a difference for chapbooks. And I think as a result, chapbooks, you know, would definitely have an advantage over my second company and my first company where I just wasn't being as sort of purposeful about this part of building the company. Yeah. You know, um, I just met Aaron for the first time a couple of weeks ago, um, at this event with, um, uh, Steve case, the billionaire founder of AOL. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. And, um, it's funny. He, he totally lived up to, Cause I think about like <laughs> code epoxy CEO, Davis Smith or Clint yep. Betts or just all the different people who have talked to me about him. Johnny, yeah. Johnny Hanna from homie, you know, formerly yep. 
uh, see over at Entrada. Like he comes up over and over. And when I finally met him, he was just like super easy going, like real straightforward dude. Not one of these like, I'm so glad you got the chance to meet me kind of types, you know? <laughs> no, exactly. And, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a fan. Listen- I think he's, he's having a huge impact in our state, at least. There's, a, there's you know, me and a whole bunch of other entrepreneurs that really look up um, to him and his team at Pluralsight. And I think as a result, we're going to have a better crop of companies. Well, um, it, it's interesting. I mean, how many companies can bootstrap from zero to a billion dollar valuation, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that they're, you know, those same kind of, the ways he like looks at a human like a real human being <laughs> instead of yeah. just yeah. how they fit into his agenda. You know, like what <laughs> is easy for a lot of ambitious people to do, right? Certainly, uh-huh. yep. certainly it's been my failing in the past. Um, no wonder he's been magnetic enough to, to build what he's built, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, listen, a bit of a tangent. We like to ask people, um, our charity, Child Rescue, you know, we're building an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru with a couple of partners. We help pay for undercover rescue missions and do prevention campaigns at high schools here in America. Um, yeah. If you were if you were our chief marketing officer, if you were trying to help us attract more people to that cause, what's a, yeah. what's a piece of advice you might have? Oh, it's a great cause, first of all. Congratulations and, and thank you for working on such an awesome cause. Um, I guess I'd go back a little bit in the chapbooks playbook to our, our early days in 2014 where we were really focused on reaching influencers, just trying to get trying to get the chapbook story told and as efficiently as we could by finding folks who had already gathered, you know, a following uh, of people who looked up to them and trusted them. So we started reaching out to influencers, sending them, you know, their own, their own chapbooks so they could, you know, see what the product was like and experience it. And um, we ended up kind of going crazy with that effort and building this little robot that kind of after we'd kind of contacted all the influencers that we could contact on our own, it just started looking for influencers. Um, and we, we tapped into the Instagram API and we just start combing for who has lots of followers, but not just that, who has a lot of engagement with their followers, like lots of comments and likes. And we tried to do some screening for are these like robot likes that are written in a language that when you translate it, it says like cat, dog, pig. <laughs> so you, you try to filter out but our robot got like smarter and smarter at finding people who actually did have an engaged following. And it would look for people who also had an email address in their profile. Mm. And it would scrape all that information out. And we actually had a... Hold on. Did you custom make this or is this something other yeah, people we, can get? No, we, we made this thing. We went a little crazy with it. And we called it Megatron. It was uh, this awesome... <laughs> and the next question, custom. are you licensing it to other people who <laughs> want to sign up for your service? Okay. You know, it, it's... Uh, I know. I, I, I think some, some of these things are harder to do now. Like the, the Instagram API platform was more open then than it is now. So I'm not even sure you could actually run this exact playbook uh, again now, but it's just something I think about from our experience. There's probably other opportunities to do things like this, but just in general, we went out hunting for great affiliates. And then when we had their email address, we would do a quick scan with um, a person that we hired in the Philippines to kind of go through and unclick all of the off-brand affiliates would pull in. There was a lot of people that weren't wearing lots of clothes. Mm. And so Maria would go through like, okay, no clothes, no clothes, no clothes, no clothes. I mean, there's some clothes because Instagram, but just not enough clothes to be uh, on brand. So anyway, we'd filter all those out. And then we would send an invitation to them saying, hey, we think you're great. Congrats on this amazing following. We'd love to send you a photo book. We just need your, we need your address. We need your shipping address so we can send it to you. 
Um, that was actually really successful. That was, you know, the primary driver of our growth in 2015 was was Megatron and this sort of, you know, weapons grade affiliate program that we ended up with with this little robot guy that we built. So, I, I guess I would think for the for the charity, there's got to be some similar way to reach out to influencers who are obviously getting hit up by a million people all the time. But what made it work for us is we had this really personalized thing to offer them to get them to take a look. It wasn't just, I want to send you some lip balm. It was, I want to send you your 60 best photos from last year in a book. Um, I wonder if there's some similar kind of personalized offering that you know you could extend from the you know, from the charity with a story that somehow is going to connect with different pieces of, of the influencer story or network or, you know, that, that would resonate with them. And then they could then spread the word and you know, share the word for you. Yeah, kind of like that's all I got. Kind of like you marketing, where it's not lip balm; it's actually about them, huh? Yeah, something like that. I think that's we got you know really, really surprisingly high take rates on our offer of the free book to the influencers, and then in the book was a little card quickly explaining our affiliate program. But on the flip side of the card was their best photo of the year. So they were a little bit less likely to throw it away. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we we did have some, I mean, the fact that we're in this business of printing people's photos, let us personalize it a lot more. But I I guess it would some combination of an affiliate program to help you just amplify the message for you, but then some kind of connection to the affiliate that to them felt authentic. Um, Yeah, easier said than done, but but I guess that's what I would come up with. Okay. I think, um, you know... Certainly the the influencers today do get hit up a lot um, and people show up with kind of a selfish ask. Right. Maybe isn't personalized. And I think uh, especially something as, you know, emotional as a a photo, right, could be a big help. But I'm wondering if you, you know, if you, the the thing that's so great about these APIs is there's a lot of, there's a lot of metadata available too. So if there's any way you could somehow find, like a you know a bunch of photos of a trip to Thailand, you know at an inf- at an influencer's photo stream, um, you know that lets you personalize the message a bit more than just hey we have a problem to solve like you should help us solve it because they're already solving you know ten other problems and supporting three other charities so you know mm-hmm. how do you how do you somehow make this one feel relevant to them? Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, you know uh, another thing I w- so. Shifting gears again back to more of your background, you know, um, at our consulting firm, Mylan Advisors, we're we're doing a lot of like working with senior leaders who maybe their merger integration isn't going as well as they wanted or their continuous improvement program isn't getting the adoption rate they want, right? So we're advising them on how to like help their managers become more of a like more of an executive advisor to their staff. So the staff realize my manager cares about me, so they'll actually yeah. like, participate in the program. Um, I'm interested though, with your, with your time at McKinsey, um, what do you think other consulting firms like ours would have to learn from the success of a, an organization like that? Huh? Oh man, that, that is a tough, I mean, I think you hit, you hit on it with, um, how do you, how do you somehow make, you know, communicate to the person you're working for, uh, or that, you know, help them communicate to the person they're working for. How do they somehow feel like this is, because I'm interested in you personally and your success personally. Um, I had, I had a, had a manager at McKinsey who was really uniquely good at that. Like he figured out that what I wanted to do was go to France and of all the weird things for like a first year McKinsey kid to be wanting to do, I wanted to transfer from the Los Angeles office to the Paris office. 
And that's just never done. You know, it just like doesn't happen. Um, my wife was really excited about it. We both lived in France for a summer before we started at McKinsey. And, and what he, he kind of got that out of me, like in the first week or so of working together and all of a sudden, everything we were doing was about, you know, positioning our appeal to go to, to transfer to the Paris office, you know, nine months later. I think I probably, you know, I ran way harder for that guy than, you know, for, for lots of other folks I've, I've worked for. Because I got this distinct sense, and it wasn't like I got the sense he genuinely wanted me to be able to do this thing that was important for us, and he was going to try to help us get there. And you know, we had to do a whole bunch of things that were very helpful to him, like a bunch of great work at two o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> but I was willing to do it because you know I, I felt like he was personally invested in me, and so I think that's you know that's a pretty great model. If in the end, unfortunately, we're all pretty selfish. Like there's we have our altruistic moments. But I, you know, the, we roll out of bed and I think we're kind of thinking about ourselves, unfortunately. And so just accepting that and, and sort of trying to make that part of your management model is probably the best, you know, the best advice is like, how do you somehow convince folks part of the change effort that, that, you know, changes, you're trying to help them get where they're trying to go as well. You know, it is interesting how like it's not about the thing, right? Like working till two in the morning sucks, right? Um, yeah. Unless it's for yourself, you know. Yeah. Like my my dad yeah. has this uh, my dad has this saying that everything gardens. He says like whether it's plants, animals, or humans, like we're actively interested in progression. We're actively hardwired yeah. to be responsible and and create resources and provide for ourselves. And it's funny to like. Certainly that can stray into selfishness, right? Right. But when we, you know, if we are all taking personal responsibility, there can be the downside of nobody else is worried about what I'm worried about. And so that rare person that shows up and cares about what you want really stands out, right? Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I, I don't exactly know how to op- how to operationalize that. But, you know, we are at Chatbooks. We, we try to have this sort of quarterly. It's not like sit down and fill out giant stacks of paper, but it's like sort of player to coach in our in our team. Um, trying to understand, are you, you know, where are you trying to go and how is Chatbooks helping you get there? And I think we, the more we can keep those things aligned, just the better off we're going to be both for the person who, are, who we want to see succeed and we want to help. But they're going to be you know, working extra hard for chapbooks, realizing that in addition to just wanting to do a good job because you know, they want to do a good job for the should. company. that Yeah, because you should. It's also getting them where they want to go. And I think then you have like the double, you know, kind of the, the double whammy of they're doing it because I should and because I want to. And it's taking me where I'm trying to go in my, in my career and my life. Well, you think about like the, the pushback somebody might give on that of like, well, you know, why would you want to encourage people to leave your organization if that's where they're trying to go or, you know, these kind of things. And, and it makes me think, well, they're probably going to leave anyways. It's just a matter of how hard they yeah. work in the meantime. No, right? I, I think that, I think that that stuff is just crazy. You know, when someone's, when someone gets upset about, oh, I can't believe so-and-so stole this, this, this person from my team. And, um, you know, I, I really truly believe there's, a, if there's a better opportunity for you outside of chat books, I want you to go do it. Because the only time you're going to be at your absolute peak at Chatbooks is when Chatbooks is where you're supposed to be, you know, where it's the best place for you in your career. We just had, for example, our, our lifecycle marketing manager um, leave to go take a head of marketing position at another company, Utah. You know, we're we're taking him out to his favorite restaurant on Friday, and we're like celebrating as a company. We're all really, really stoked for him. 
Um, and if he if he hadn't taken that opportunity, or if he wasn't you know moving on there, he'd he'd be I don't know how he possibly could have been giving us his all running the life cycle marketing machine if that wasn't where he wanted to be, or if it, if he kind of overstayed that stop and was worried about geez, am I really making progress in my life and am I am I getting where I'm trying to go? So, I, I mean, I think that if it's time for someone to move on, you just you just you celebrate that and you're super stoked for them and you you know, slap them on the back on the way out. And all that stuff in the end comes back around because you then, you know, you, you build a reputation of being the kind of company that actually, you know, wants to, wants to see its team members succeed in whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. What so about, you attract better people. What about external? Like the way that McKinsey works with their clients, you know, to the point that clients are spending 9 billion a year with them. Like any, yeah. is there anything about being there of like what you feel like they do different than not everybody can match? You know what they do a great job of is um, is trying to is convincing you on day one that you're one of the fr- the few the proud the brave the Marines. I mean, they they really make you feel like you've joined this really wonderful exclusive club, and and that you you know you are this incredibly wonderful special snowflake that you know we we bring into the firm because you have all your potential. So they, they kind of get you going in that direction to feel like you really can are very capable. But then they, they follow that up. The second punch is, and you know, tons is expected of you. Like this, this firm has a reputation that's been built by the waves of people before you over the last 60, 70, you know, 60 years. And, you know, we do our best work here. And so you do, you kind of like you're there at two o'clock in the morning and you want to go home, but you know, it isn't done. It's not done at sort of like a McKinsey level. So by the time you put your recommendation underneath that little blue folder in the McKinsey, you know, sort of summary pitch deck, I mean, you, you stressed out about it a little bit and you've really tried to do your very best work. And I think they get that by saying you're capable of it and you have like this solemn obligation to uphold the firm's, uh, you know, reputation and all the work that's gone before to create that reputation. So uh, there is something about the onboarding process there and the ongoing sort of evaluation process to where you really do want to put your best foot forward. And you're surrounded by some really, really talented people. And that also is kind of contagious. You sort of want to keep up with the other you know, person on your engagement team. I remember when I, my first engagement team, I was with a guy who was a, a Rhodes Scholar, a captain in the army. He'd been to some fancy school that, you know, I knew was a fancy school. And sometime, you know, late at night where we were, had some analysis, it was like upside down and not making any sense. He stood up on the conference room table and did the Crispin's Day speech from Henry V. And I'm like, who are these people? You know, like the, the we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, like he made the, the full on impassioned plea that we we're going to keep going until we figured it out. And so they do an amazing job in recruiting. They do an amazing job in sort of onboarding and conditioning. And then, yeah, they just kind of get the best out of you. And then you're kind of tired and you leave after a while <laughs> <laughs> and, just start, and the process starts over again. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, listen, we appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Besides people going to chatbooks.com and setting their, their automatic uh, feed yeah. to, to print yeah, their books that. for them, um, what, to, what are their advice do you have, closing advice to leave people with? Man, advice? Uh, there's some weird combination of um, keep finding work that you, that you really love. It's just so much more fun. Uh, and I think there's there's so there's these moments in time where you can do the logical thing or the crazy thing. I think there's something right in the middle. Like there is a Venn diagram where what you're really excited about overlaps with 
what you can be best in the world at and overlaps with what you can actually get paid to do. And I think just keep finding that. Just keep stay on the quest. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it, I don't think at all moments in time are you in that tiny little, you know, overlapping area of those three circles. But I think as long as you're sort of continuing to circle around it and get closer, um, it's just fun. Like we, we just don't feel like we're going to work at Chatbooks. It is uh, – would do it for free. We did it for free for years in the wilderness. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd keep doing it because, um, you know, we just, we love what we're doing and it's a nice little, a nice little combination. So, you know, I haven't always been at that point in my career, but I, I feel really, really lucky to be there right now. Okay. You know what? I'm going to, we're going to go for one more. We're going to do a, a last, last piece of advice. Okay. So you've got seven kids. You've, yeah. you're, you're, you're managed to stay married while doing all this stuff. <laughs> Uh, any advice for you know us ambitious people who sometimes um, you know being present at home isn't isn't the easiest or yeah how, how how do you turn the phone off what's how does it work what's what's been something huh. to help you be the dad or the husband that or more this, of the dad or husband you wanted to be yeah I don't know if this this people this might be a little controversial but what I would actually say is just forget the concept of balance mm. just like completely delete that from your vocabulary. My dad talks about integration, just you know, kind of a funny word. But I would just uh, what we've I, what, what right or wrong, what we've done is we've just not thought about that, and, and we just have work life together. Life's work, work is life. I kind of have this farmer analogy, you know, where I think farm families and it was half of the country, you know, one generation ago or two generations ago. I don't think that a dairy farm family was like trying to figure out how do we balance work and life. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think you just, you just lived and, and you just embrace the idea that, that a huge part of life is doing work. And that's great. Like work is actually super rewarding, lots of fun. And I think your kids, um, at least I think Mike, our kids have felt closer to me and to Vanessa, the more involved they are in like the family's work. And, and talking to them about what's going on at the office, talking about what's going on with our customers, you know, just sort of involving them in the whole process in general, instead of having it be this like thing that happens behind closed doors that we're trying to balance out of our life very, very unsuccessfully. So like we've got a couple of kids that have done you know, work as interns at Chatbooks. On a Thanksgiving crazy moment, we were all packing you know, promotional stuff together you know, in the envelopes. But it was fun. You know, like we didn't, we weren't like, oh, I can't believe we're ruining Thanksgiving. It was just like, this is kind of a different Thanksgiving. Um, so I would say if there's any way, um, and this, you know, mileage may vary on this, but for us, it's been really successful just to just forget about that boundary and just kind of lump it into work and life kind of go together. And we're always doing work and we're always doing life. And now we've got kids at the office doing homework and I'm bailing to go watch a soccer game in the afternoon. And we just don't worry about the boundaries anymore. You know, so I spent my teenage years in the little tiny farm town, and um, I think kind of the, a little bit of the magic of what you're saying is having them involved, though. Like, you yeah. know, this is company number 12 for me, and most of them were total failures, right? But a couple of them went pretty big. Yeah. And, um, it, like, I think about a lot of the times when I was getting that formula wrong um, compared to this go-around, like, my wife is super involved in the consulting yeah. firm behind the scenes, and yeah. it's been... Uh, it's been so much more fun rather than like, um, when does she get me away from the business kind of thing? She's been part of it this time. And, uh, it's been so much lower stress about me monitoring. Am I overworking because we're doing more together? You know, that's exactly how we feel. And I think 
the only caveat, of course, is like you got to I have to remind myself that the moments with the kids when they just need me there, that like trumps anything and everything happening at the at the at the business. But, you know, my my teenage son has a chapbook sticker on his truck. I, I think because he feels like some ownership, you know, he, he, he's sort of been part of it. He knows all about it. He knows about when it wasn't working at all and it was a nightmare. And he knows about, you know, when it started to work better and he's celebrating some of the successes with us now along the way. And for us, it's been really fun. This definitely feels like a family business, you know, even though it's, you know, our daughter's not bussing tables at the restaurant. I think our kids feel like they're part of chapbooks. And as a result, we just don't have to worry about are we in balance? You know, like you can just never get balance. It's impossible. So you just put it all together and not, don't worry about it. <laughs> love it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again for making time. This was great. Hey, man. Loved it. Thanks a lot, Jess. You bet. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.